0: Ephesians chapter four, we've been in this chapter for a while. It's, it's, <laughs> it's one of the, the, the chapters in this book that is just so rich that, uh, in, in my own studies, my preparation, I, I, I keep having these bold ideas about how much ground we're going to cover. And then, uh, it's, I don't get bogged down I, because I, I just love to study God's word, but there's just so much here. And, uh, there's, there's just so much depth in, in this section of this book. As we're looking at this, as we're getting into now the last half of the chapter, uh, we're looking at Christian growth. We're looking at what maturity looks like in the life of a believer. We're looking at, yes, some suppose that the understanding of God is of utmost importance. We're also looking at some suppose that service to God is paramount. And, and I want to submit to you that we see in these pages, in these in these verses, that in Ephesians, Paul emphasizes both. In chapters 1 through 3, if you remember, when we've looked at this, we've looked at the, the, the emphasis there is doctrine. It's It's about understanding God. Uh, and in chapters four through six, it's it's about duty or practice, and it's about walking it out. We're going to see that word in the text this morning about how we walk. Uh, and, and so it's important as we go through this and as we get into it that we understand and remember the context here that Paul is addressing a church in a town or a city called Ephesus. He's exhorting them now about the difference between the old life and the new life. And he's warning them to be mindful. Ephesus had everything the world had to offer. They, it was a cultural center. It was it was a major trade route. Uh, it was an economic and financial center. It was a huge city, quarter million plus. It was also a spiritual center for many in the Roman Empire. It was it was the stopping place. The Temple of, of Diana was there. There was a whole number of of Temples to pagan deities throughout the city. It was a place where people went uh, to be spiritual in that sense. In that culture, uh, they they were coming out of it, and then out of that comes this thing called the church. the The people who were coming to Christ, who had given their lives to Him, and remember Paul when he was there, he set up the school of Tyrannus and began to instruct them every day uh, because they they sort of things went sour in the synagogue and all of that. But these people were, they weren't coming out of other churches. Like we see a lot in our culture, they were coming out of blatant idolatry. They were worshiping a host of Greek and Roman gods, lowercase g, obviously gods. They were going from polytheism. In other words, there's a whole bunch of gods for different things in their lives to monotheism. In other words, one God. And they were coming into the knowledge of Christ. Uh, as we look here in chapter four, the goal is not just, again, it's not head knowledge, but the goal is Christ-likeness. Uh he says in verse 15 that we grow up in all aspects of him, who's the head. Uh and, and it's not just in attitudes, but in actions. So we look at this as we go through. I'm gonna to, to catch the context, I'm gonna begin in verse 14. We're gonna move through it quickly before we get to the text for this morning. He says in verse 14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We looked at that last week. Talked about seven different areas of false teaching that we see currently in the church. And there was a truckload of, well they didn't have trucks, but there was a load of false teaching back then. So the flip side of that in verse 15 he says, but... And we've looked at that before. It, it tends to cancel what's just been said in, in relating to these people that he's writing to, the church at Ephesus. He says, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So when he talks about speaking the, the truth in love, uh, it reminds me of John one seventeen, where uh, John writes, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That Jesus spoke truth, but he did so with grace because truth without grace can be pretty brutal. Uh, Often in our lives, how how many times have you perhaps ended a a dispute or an argument with, well, it's true and we can use truth to beat people up. Uh, But So that's truth devoid of grace, but grace devoid of truth is where we just water down the message because we want it to be palatable. And I'll tell you what, folks, the spiritual landscape out there is full of watered down, watered down messages because we want to make it palatable. We don't want to offend. We want to be seeker friendly and, and all of that. Grace and truth must be in place in our lives. We, As we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. What's the result of that? That others will grow and that we may grow in all things. That's what he says here in verse 15. Verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The body is built up. We're connected to one another is what he's saying in that when each of us is functioning as God has designed us to function, the entire body grows. The entire body benefits. The entire body is built up. So we finished there last week. I went into, uh, verses 17 and following a little bit because I wanted to make a point about, uh, you know, the worship and, and when the law tries to, or the government tries to get in and dictate things like that. I'm not going to go there again. So we're going to cover verse seven, 17 through 24 this morning. And, uh, for context, I'm going to just read the first few verses and then we'll come back and take a look at it. Verse 17 talking about the new man. He says, this I say, therefore, that and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Gentiles being anybody that uh, there were Jews and Gentiles in that day. Anybody that's not Jewish is a Gentile. You and I are Gentiles. It's people in the world is what he's talking about. We should never no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. There's an indictment for you. It's a pretty heavy passage. But Paul, again, looking back, uh, he's, he's describing what the world looked like Looking at Ephesus, he's describing what the world looked like 2,000 years ago. But you want to know something? You could take this, these same words and look around, folks. Look at our world today. The world looks the same today as it did then as far as seeing these things abounding in our culture, in our world. Why? Because the world outside of God, the world outside of Christ, always looks the same. There are principles that this world runs on that are they haven't changed over millennia. The point where that change comes about, it's not through making people better. We'll look at that. It's through transformation of the inner man, the inner woman that that takes place. So in verse 17, he says, therefore, what he's saying is based on what I have been teaching you. Uh In the first half of chapter four, he's talked about, what Christ had done for them now he 's going to apply it to their lives in verse seventeen he says, this I say, therefore and testify affirm is what that means when he says i 'm testifying i 'm affirming in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He says, I testify in the Lord. Paul was aware that the Holy Spirit was leading him in this he is speaking with apostolic authority. Very important that we understand that, folks. He is not speaking his opinion here. He is speaking the word of God to these people. And he is saying, he's stating as much as he writes here. He says, I am testifying in the Lord. This is true. Pay attention, listen up. These are similar to when Jesus would be talking with the people and he would say, truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily. What he's saying is, listen up pay attention, this is important, this is from God. And and he wanted to make sure that the people understood his emphasis here. He wasn't giving them something that was uh, just his own point of view. He's speaking with authority. Now he uses the word walk in here also a a couple of times. He says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Uh, And literally what that word means, it, it means the conduct of one's life the order of one's behavior. This is not talking about literal walking here. He's using that, again, metaphorically to talk about the way that people are living. He's saying now as Christians, don't go back to your old sinful life. That's just what he's putting out there. Again, remember, these guys are in Ephesus. It's a, it was a great city. It, there was wealth, power, material goods, entertainment, superstition, witchcraft, sexual immorality, gross perversion, which often were connected with the spiritual practices of the day. That was huge that time because in that culture, that was part of how they did the worship. There was a lot of sexual overtones to it and a lot of, of perverse things going on. Essentially, Ephesus, as Paul is writing to these people, is he's burdened to tell them, look, and to exhort them. He's strongly encouraging them. That's what an exhortation is, saying, Stay away from the old life and and embrace the new life. Don't get back into that. This is where you were, but now look at where you are. Because Ephesus was a cesspool of cultic, occultic, dark, and demonic activity. And in, in, in this into all of this, this whole thing that was going on, came this small group of Christians who lived among the rest of the population. When he talks about the futility of their mind here, he's saying their thinking is wrong. The point in this is that their mindset was wrong. Their worldview was not the same. Why? Because the unsaved world had excluded God from their lives. Folks, look around. More and more, you see the darkness coming over our land, the spiritual darkness and, and just by default, our light shines brighter, but the, the point he's making with these people is look, look around, understand that you are to be different. That's the same for you and I. We're to live lives that are set apart. We are in, but not of, the world. He says, you're not pursuing God. You're incapable of accepting the things of God as far as the population there goes. They, they, it. You can't get there from here. The natural man does not have that capacity. Verse 18, he says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. He says, their understanding is darkened. Unsaved people are unable to know and comprehend God. That is, you've got to understand that when you're dealing with the unsaved world, when you're dealing with perhaps people you know, people in your circle or your sphere of influence that are rejecting God, they have chosen, and and we'll look at it more as we get further into this, they have chosen to turn their back. They have chosen to shut it off. And, And to the point in extreme cases to where their conscience is now seared from the things of God. We need to understand this. Many times they present as knowing God. There's a lot of people who will name the name of of God. They'll say, well, I believe in God. The Bible tells us that demons believe and they shudder. It's not about simple mental ascent. It's about a life that's been impacted by the power of Christ, by the gospel, by the fact that he died for your sins and that now as a cleansed vessel, as a believer in him, that you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, giving you the ability to live a life that's not any longer conformed to this world, but transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. I want to give you some scriptures that <clears throat> there's a whole lot that is said in the New Testament uh, about this whole concept and, and about this these truths that we're looking at. And I, I'm just going to walk through them quickly. You can come back and, and catch it on uh, <clears throat> the podcast or video or whatever later. But Again, it's important that we take kind of a cross-section of the word of God and take a look at this. In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says this. He says, this is the condemnation that the light, uh, or I'm sorry, not Jesus. John says this. He says, this is the condemnation that the light or the truth, that's what the word word light means there, has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men, unregenerate man, loves darkness we live in a a world of darkness i look on the television i look and i see the riots and the the unrest and all of the stuff have you have you noticed that all of that stuff or most of it (laughs) by far is done in darkness it's like at night things start happening That's literal darkness, the figurative darkness. The the darkness here is the darkness of men's souls that that is being referred to, that men love darkness. They don't, their deeds are evil. They want to be concealed by their darkness in their own souls. In Acts chapter 26, verses 17 and 18, Jesus is speaking to Paul at his conversion here. He says, I'll deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. To whom I now send you, open to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. There's that terminology again. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified or cleansed by faith in me. In Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three through six. The Apostle Paul, the same guy that wrote this letter, writing to the, the church at Corinth, He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the glory, uh, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse six. Uh, important here. He says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So his point in that is there's light and darkness. It's not talking about physical, tangible light, physical darkness. He's talking about spiritual darkness. He's talking about what happens with the unregenerate man, what happens with the unsaved person, the person who has turned their back on God, perhaps pushing actively, pushing God away, and the person who has embraced Christ, because that is when light comes in to someone's soul. He's saying some will choose to remain and walk in darkness. He's saying his exhortation to the church there at Ephesus and to us is walk in the light. John the Apostle in, he says, "Walk in the light as he is in the light," and that's what we want to do. We want to walk in the light, in the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. In First Corinthians chapter two, uh, verse fourteen, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, "But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit; uh, things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned." I don't know how many times over the years I'll be speaking with someone who I know is not a believer, and I'll just watch their eyes glaze over, or just watch they're <laughs> gazing off into space. They have totally disconnected from what I have to say, and the reason for that is if you're talking to someone about the things of God, they're spiritually discerned. That doesn't mean that you necessarily stop talking, although I think that there's some wisdom. That, that when they've checked out, that it, you're probably not going to be heated any longer. But the point is, is that they have chosen to reject what you have to say. And, and from that point on, you're talking to a wall. There is a place where, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we're told in the Gospel of John that the threefold work of the Spirit is that he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And that he will guide you into all truth and that he will glorify me. That's what Jesus says the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. And so on the front end there, as we speak truth in a situation, we have to trust that God is taking that. His word is not going to go out and come back void. And so we have to trust that if God is directing that, he's guiding that, that he's working in that, and that we're simply being faithful to the message, understanding that he is the one who's going to drive that into their hearts. They still have a free will. They have the ability to reject the word of God. They have the ability to reject the witness that you have. Don't be discouraged, gang. That's how the world runs. Verse 18, again, uh, he says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, which, which means separated from the life of God because of or due to the ignorance that's in them because of the hardness or the blindness or the hardness of their heart. Uh the ignorance that is in them. He's talking about the ignorance that they have chosen, which has overtaken them. This is willful ignorance. It's not just being unknowing. Oh, I didn't know. I was ignorant of that. This is choosing ignorance. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to look, you know, put my fingers in my ears, whatever it is. That's what this is talking about. And he talks about the blindness or the hardness Literally, uh, this word blindness here uh, translates unwillingness to learn, a mental stubbornness, a closed mind. It's not a physical blindness that he's talking about. And the Greek word is not physical blindness. It's a different word. And what it is, is an attitude of the heart, an attitude of the mind. I'm closed. I don't want to hear it. And, And when he's talking about the hardness of their heart, it's translated hardness and blindness in different translations. That's what he's talking about. Again, willful, willful ignorance, willful blindness at the point of choosing ignorance, choosing blindness. When we're told that the God of this world has blinded their hearts, when we're talking about spiritual blindness, it is never the devil made me do it. There is always a component of my will coming into play. That's why we're accountable for the choices we make. In First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read this, it says, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Paul uses the illustration here. I, I, whenever I read this verse, I think about turning on the barbecue and putting that baby on high so that you know a few minutes later when i go throw the steaks on there uh, man they're sizzling the minute they hit the grill because i want to sear the steaks to seal in the juices it, and, and that's the sort of the, the vision here in this is that when when their consciences are seared there's nothing getting in they're closed off they're sealed and and, and there are people like that i i think about some of the, the the radical operatives you see on television—they're promoting some of these weird agendas and weird narratives—and and, and I just think their conscience is seared from the things of God. Unfortunately, it's a it's a it's a common stance in our world when you're dealing with people that have allowed their own hearts to be hardened verse 19, he says, Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness? You ever wonder how people can do the things that they do? I mean, you, you, you read about some heinous crime where, you know, and I don't want to go into examples, uh, you know, but, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't take much imagination to think about some of the horrible things that are done that people do that they foist upon others. When he talks about being past feeling, the Greek word is uh, there, it it literally means to lose the capacity to feel shame or pain or embarrassment. It's, it's the same word that's used for becoming calloused, that you have a callous over your heart, a thick callous to where you no longer care. You're past feeling, you're past having an emotional interaction or involvement with whatever that thing is. I used to wonder, you know, how can how could a serial murderer do what they do? And I'd think, and I'd realize very early on in my life, I don't want to understand their mindset. I mean, I want to be as far from that as possible I, 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 because I can't connect, I can't get there from here. And that's a good thing. The point in this is he's talking about people who are past feeling that their conscience is seared. They don't care. They're not capable of being able to entertain the things of God When they have lowered themselves to this point, when you're mastered by the old nature, this is what it looks like. And our world is full, unfortunately, of people who are mastered by the old nature. Verse 19, he says, again, he says to work all uncleanness with greediness. These are people that have given themselves over. They made a choice. It's a complete absence of moral restraint that's being referred to here. Do you see why it was so important for the Apostle Paul to tell these people, look, let go of the old life, turn away, just put it away, get rid of it. There will be nothing in it that's good. It will do nothing if you want to entertain the flesh. And even on, on, we like to to grade on the curve and think, well, you know, it's acceptable for me to, you know, to watch, you know, movie where there's filth or whatever, but it's not okay for me to you know cheat on any of that. We tried to do this whole grading sin. And he's saying, you know what? Call it like it is. Be separate. Live a life that's separate. You're beyond that. You're above that with Christ in your heart. It'll yield nothing but heartache and pain and spiritual damage in your life. In Romans chapter one, verse eighteen, Paul says, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness." And then, in verses nineteen through thirty-one, there in Romans one, Paul gives a litany of charges against them. The 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 whole first three chapters of Romans, I refer to it as the, to it as the great indictment of humanity. I mean, nobody gets off. But in Romans one thirty-two. He says who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them Folks you've heard the term bad company corrupts, corrupts good morals and and essentially that's what's being said here but you got to realize that you're going to emulate your peers and I'll tell you as a Christian as a believer as somebody who belongs to Christ, you will be the one who, who compromises if you want to start hanging out with a worldly bunch. That's just the way it rolls. It, it, it doesn't go the other way. I've used the example before. It's like trying to put a white glove in the muddy water. You never see the glove get, or the, the water get, uh, the muddy water get whiter. The glove always gets stained. It always gets tarnished. That's you. That's me. We do well to make sure that, yes, friendship with the world is hostility towards Christ, but if we weren't friendly with people in the world, no one would ever get saved, for one thing. I was speaking with someone after church last week about that, that it's really important that we understand that we have relationships with people in the world, but we're not compromised. We're not wanting to look like the world. There's a whole movement in the body of Christ in the last few years that I've seen a growing movement where it says, let's look as much like the world as possible so we can increase our appeal. Hogwash. I just don't believe that. I don't think it's a godly thing at all. I think it's, it's, let's try to get more people in the door at the expense of the gospel. And it's wrong. Verse 20, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See where Paul is contrasting the old life and the new. Uh, in verse 20, he says, you haven't so, so learned Christ. Uh, he says, it, it, now the use of the word you here is emphatic. He, it, what he's saying is, but you haven't learned Christ. You have not, that's not how you should be doing it. He's addressing this to believers. He, he's saying, this is the world that you live in, but you have no, not, you haven't learned Christ that way pay attention. He's again, he's exhorting, strongly exhorting the Ephesian church to these truths. He'd taken these people from a head knowledge. Remember, he had that school of Tyrannus for a couple of years. He taught in Ephesus, bringing new disciples into the fold, into the body of Christ, and then getting them grounded in the word of God. The Old Testament in those days, relating Christ from the Old Testament, something that Paul was very well uh, equipped to do. He was bringing them. Beyond that, though, he's bringing them into a personal relationship with the Lord. And, and so as he's writing these t- things to them, I can just imagine the burden he has his, in his own heart, knowing that these people are living in this culture that is just horrid, and yet being burdened to say, look, I know that you're small, and that, you, that it, by comparison to the rest of the population but you've got to realize that you do have strength because Christ is in you. Christ is with you. His power is available to you. And so as he's reaching out to these people, he says, you haven't learned Christ this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by or taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He's talking about, uh, he's actually, it's the same word in verse 21. He says, you've been taught by him. That actually is the word in as the truth is in Jesus. You've taught in him, and the truth is in him. So there's strength in that. In chapters 1 through 3, again, we've looked at what it is to be in Christ. Doctrine. We've gotten a good doctrinal grounding. Now, as he applies it in practice, he's talking about what it is to have Christ in you. And so as he's talking about, don't go back to the old way of life. Don't go back to the old way of doing it. Don't go back to that old man or that old person that, that is lived and steeped in a life of sin. He's saying, put that off. Get rid of it. Make no provision for the flesh, he tells us in the book of Romans. So as he's applying this now, this is where practice and practical application comes in. It's Christ in me. Verse 22, when he says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. When he's saying put off here, it means to lay aside. It's a reference in that culture. It was a reference to, to garments, to clothing. He's saying, strip away your former way of life. In other words, Put off the old man, put on the new. He's saying it's, it's kind of metaphorically. Again, it's like changing your clothes. You don't put new clothes over the old. You take off the old and you put on a change. There's something that, there's a transaction involved in that. So when he says to put off the old man, that's what he's referring to. Then he has, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Interesting that he says it that way. He says it grows, corrupt, indicating the old nature is not only corrupt, but it increasingly, increasingly grows more corrupt. How does that happen? He says right here, by deceitful lusts. They're deceitful, the God of this world, taking those enticements, those, those lusts that are born in our hearts, and, and those enticements, we wrestle against the flesh, the world, and Satan himself, the powers of darkness, when we get those things going in our hearts and when we're when we're getting carried away by those things that corruption in our souls is growing many years after this the apostle john addressing he he addresses much the same as he's writing a letter from Ephesus, John spent the latter part of his life living in Ephesus, part of the church at Ephesus that Paul's writing to here. And in 1 John chapter 2, he says this, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty clear. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. I love that passage. The point here is that which you feed will grow. That which you starve will die. So I want to ask you, self-inventory, take time for self-reflection. Folks, we need to apply these things to our lives. We live in perilous times. We see godlessness abounding all around us. What are you feeding in your life? Are you feeding the flesh? Are you feeding that old nature? Are you caught up in areas where you know that you have no business being? Put that off. Take it off. Get it out of your life. I want to encourage you because that which you feed will grow. It's never going to be, well, if I just, you know, get one more look at that programming that I know is completely godless, then I'll, the godless, then I'll be satisfied. No, you'll want more. Why? Because the corruption grows. Do you see how that works? You, you will never satisfy your flesh. If you are in defeating your flesh, stop it because you will never satisfy it. It is an empty hole. And what you'll end up doing is pushing God completely out of your life because that hole gets bigger. That's his point here when he talks about that corruption growing. Very, very important. Critically important. You want to be, you want to name the name of Christ and name it. I love what Paul says in, in God's word. He said, he doesn't say I'm sinless. I, that's ridiculous. We still sin. We goof up, do all kinds of screwy things at times. But he says, I'm conscious of nothing against myself. If you are conscious conscious of things against yourself, that's an invitation by the Holy Spirit to put that off. How do we do that? It's called repentance. You simply change your mind. Lord, I don't want that in my life anymore. I don't want, you know, I don't want to be named as somebody that ha 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 has a foul mouth. I don't want to be named as somebody that, you know, I'm going to see how far I can live or how close I can live, live to the edge without falling over. Dangerous, dangerous place to live lived there earlier in my relationship with Christ. Don't want that ever in my life. The point is, is that what you feed will grow. If you're feeding your spirit. If you're here this morning online, that's a good thing because you're feeding your spirit because God's word is going out. And that's a good thing. If you spend time in his word at home, that's a good thing because you're feeding Your spirit, it will grow. You will grow. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about growth and maturity in Christ. He says in verse 23, it be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Literally, he says, go on choosing to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a present continuous tense in the way that this sentence is put out in in the original language. It's a continual choosing. Choosing continually to be renewed. He's speaking to that which governs and controls our minds. Uh, A mind that is governed by the old self, the old nature is twisted, perverted in its thinking, in its reasoning. Therefore, it must be renewed to what God intended it to be. Therefore, we are enabled to think in a new way. Remember, folks, it's never about improving our flesh. It's never about letting that old man stay there and thinking that the the Bible, that the kingdom of God is all about self-help or self-improvement. No, he's saying that 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 old man needs to die. You need to put that off, needs to go away and to put on Christ, to put on the new man. That's part of this being enabled to think in new ways. The result of this is a radically changed worldview. You're not going to think the same. The more that you put off the old man and put on the new man. And when I say man, that's generically for men and women. Talking about humanity. I've mentioned that before. Don't get tangled up with that. This is the same for all of us. As you do that, you'll grow. If you don't and you're in defeating the flesh... It'll grow. It's all about growth, but which direction are you growing? That's his point in this. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, that means hostile, against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. You can't get there from here. If you want to live your life in the flesh, you want to live your life according to the lower nature, the one that Christ died for, by the way, then, then you're living a life that's hostile towards God. I don't care how much you name the name of Christ. If you want to live there, he's saying here, you're not subject to the, the law of God. You're, you're, you have blocked yourself from that. Folks, I don't want to be condemning in this. I want to be really clear that Jesus loves us. He died for us. He's gracious to us. He forgives us and cleanses us from our sins. And to live carnally minded is a very dangerous thing. He wants people who are all in. Warts, cracks, pimples and all. Yeah. But the Lord wants people who are wanting to worship Him in spirit and in truth, as we're told in the Gospel of John. So how does this process, the question is, how does this process of being renewed come about? The answer is simple. By being in the Word of God. Straight up. In John 17, Jesus says, He's praying. This is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's praying to the Father. The night before He's going to be crucified... And he says, to, he says this as he's praying for his men, <clears throat> praying for us down through the ages, he said, Sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. And then he says something very interesting, very powerful. He says, Your word is truth. He's saying, Father, use your word to set those who belong to you apart for you. That's how we feed our spirits. That's how we're renewed in our minds. I also believe that our minds are renewed through Christ-centered worship. I, I love the worship set this morning. Through prayer, uh, through fellowship, yes, those are all important ingredients to a healthy relationship with the Lord and being a healthy member of the body of Christ. And the way that God speaks to us so often is by His Spirit and through His Word. That's how we grow. That's how we grow away from the old ways. And that's how we grow into Christ. Verse 24, in that you put on the new man, which is the new self, men and women, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self is being renewed. The old self is rotting away because of the power of sin. It's corrupt. The new self is increasing in the life of a healthy Christian. The new self is increasing. Yeah, you're living solidly by the grace of God. I don't get up in the morning without depending, relying on the grace of God in my life. The new self doesn't evolve out of the old. Please don't get that mixed up. This is not me evolving into a higher being. The new self, it's not an improvement on the old. That's why he says, which was created. uh, It's a creation of God. It's a new work. The Christian is an entirely new person because an entirely new principle of life has been put into us by God through the Holy Spirit. That's why when we were in chapter two of this wonderful epistle, this letter uh, we read in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus he's not talking about improved by christ jesus he's talking about a new creation and that's you that's me if our lives belong to christ that we're created according to god in true righteousness and holiness essentially when man was created he was created in god's image and that image back in the garden was tarnished it was spoiled by sin and jesus being the second adam came into the world to set things right, to, to to bring that about to where now we can have a new nature. We no longer have the nature of Adam as our dominant nature. Do we pack it around? Yeah, we do. Very often in my life, I, I, I think, I, and I pray, Lord, help me to not react out of my flesh, but help me to respond in the Spirit. Help me to walk by your Spirit more effectively, more accurately, more commonly, uh, more often, because we're all growing. That's why this isn't talking about people who have arrived. It's talking about people who are growing. And we want to grow closer to the Lord. We want to grow in our relationship with him. We want to mature as Christians. This is what he's saying. This is how it's done. You put off the old manner of life. To the Ephesians, it was a load of garbage that was out there. To us, guess what? Same thing. There's a stark difference in living our lives for Christ and living for this world. We were governed by lies and deceit and a lack of wholeness. We're now governed by righteousness and holiness. For those of us who belong to Christ, this is great news. This is instruction this is this is getting a word from the boss, not me, from him. And, and this is instruction in righteousness. It's instruction in holiness. It's instruction on living life, living well, not being dragged down, tarnished by the things of this world. For those that may be catching the service online, if you don't know Christ this morning, you've gotten a pretty good idea of where the dividing line is. If you've given your life to him, then you want to grow in him. If you've not, I want to invite you to do so. It is all about putting off the old man, putting on the new. As you come to him, as you come to God, you you, you might pray, you'd pray a prayer, something like this. God, I know I've lived my life away from you. I know I've lived my life in rebellion towards you, hostile even towards you. And yet I believe you're touching my heart. I have questions in my life I don't have any answers to, but I do know this. I know I've lived away from you and I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm turning from the old life. I'm embracing Jesus as Lord. I believe that he went to that cross to forgive me, to die for my sins and to forgive me for my sins. And I want a new life and I want to have a life in you. If you're doing that, if you pray that prayer and you mean it, he will come in. He will bring new purpose, new meaning, a radical change to the way you live your life. You don't have to try to do it. All you have to do is show up, submit to him in his transforming work, and he'll do the transforming as we avail ourselves as instruments of righteousness, instruments of holiness, Knowing that we're, we, we're all on this road. We're all in process. We are all, uh, growing in our relationship. And yet, so important, gang, that we know that we're growing the right direction. And if God's put His hand, if you're a Christian this morning, God's put His hand on an area of your life that you need to surrender to Him, don't be like the person in the book of James where He, it says that He's like a man that when He hears God's Word and he, He's convicted by it, it's like a guy that's looking at His face in the mirror, and he turns away, away and it's gone. Don't do that. You shortchange yourself from a life of peace, and a life of holiness, a life that's worth living, a life that is set apart for our King. That's our goal. That's our desire. That's a look at what it is to put the old man, that old nature off, and to put on the new man in Christ, to to experience the riches of the glory of Christ in our lives, personally, individually. Wonderful stuff, wonderful work that he's doing. Again, I pray that don't go away being all beat up. Do business with him. That's the point. That's what he wants to do. He wants to have an intimate personal relationship with uh, us. And, And the way that he does that is by his spirit, through his word, Through the intimacy that he desires, he craves intimacy with us. He loves you, he loves me with a love that we don't quite understand, but I'll take all I can get. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Oh God, I I read this and I think, I, I just, I know I've got a long ways to go. And yet you're so patient with us. You're so gracious to us. And so, Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for each of the the people that are, are watching this message, taking this message in. Lord, I pray that you would work in us, that you would find hearts that are yielded to the working of your Holy Spirit, hearts that are yielded to righteousness and holiness, hearts that are yielded to living set apart for you, knowing that that's the work that you're doing and you simply seek people to, cooperate with the work of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, forgive us for any sins that that we have. We pray that you would work in us, that you would cleanse us, that you would stand us up, that you would just do that work, Lord, that only you can accomplish in each of our lives. We thank you and we love you with all our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.